Hey guys, this is Doug. Welcome back to What's the Hazard. It is Friday, February 19th. Um, it's been a long week, and we had some incredibly cold weather over the last two weeks, sub-zero weather, and I know many of you are still struggling with that. I, I hope you are getting through it. Um, our thoughts and certainly prayers are going out to those of you that are really dealing with some incredible difficulties, so um, we're thinking about you. Hang in there. Um, it will get better. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's been a rough couple of weeks. I, I think there is some light at the end of the tunnel here. It's starting to warm up, and so hopefully things will change for the better. Um, I would love to throw a, a thank you out to all of the folks that are protecting us, military, police, fire, emergency medical services, all of you folks that, you know, we try to recognize you, and then we get busy, and we forget all about it, and, and I've really made an effort to try to put gratitude to the forefront in my life uh, as an old guy. And um, so I, I just want to make sure that everyone knows that we are appreciative of what you do for us, particularly when things are kind of difficult like right now uh, and you're still there doing it. You know, I saw something on the news the other night about the firefighters out trying to fight a large structural fire in sub-zero weather and all of the challenges and difficulties. And man, th- thank you for doing that. And uh, finally, um, I want to thank my sponsors, as always, Cheyenne Wolford at CCS Group, uh, Jim Cover at the Nebraska Department of Labor Onsite Consultation Group. Um, it's interesting. I, when I first started this podcast and realized that I couldn't afford it on my own, um, I guess my, my wife made that clear to me, uh, and I started looking for people that might help me with the program and, and some sponsorship. I thought it was going to be people that sold things, you know, people that uh, that were trying to market something. But as it has turned out, you know, guys like Cheyenne, who his company CCS Group is just a, you know, custom concrete specialist. They just refurbish grain structures, old concrete grain elevators. And the Department of Labor certainly doesn't need my endorsement, obviously. I, I think that the real appeal to a program like this is more to people that, that share the vision that, um, you know, that working safely is important, that it's something that we all need to promote. Uh, if we can share information and maybe some inspiration, you know, I think they get on board with that. So Cheyenne and Jim, um, I know you guys share the vision and I appreciate your help. So anyway, thanks everybody. Uh, onto the program today, I do not have a guest. Uh, it's just me today. So we are going to go through what I will refer to as random thoughts. Um, most of these just come to me, um, you know, those hours in the morning when you wake up and you can't get back to sleep and things are churning and I think about things like this. I think about some of the whys of what we do. And so I've got some random thoughts I'm just going to throw out there. I would ask, if you are a listener, if you've listened once or twice or maybe you listen regularly, I would love some feedback on some of these things I'm just going to submit for consideration. So you know you can reach me, Doug, at FletcherSafety.com. That's my email address, and um, I would love to hear your thoughts. I'm going to throw some ideas out there, ask some questions, and uh, if you have some comments or, or would like to contribute, I would be happy to bring that up next time we get together and share some of those thoughts. And so, Doug at FletcherSafety.com is where you can reach me. All right. Um, Random thoughts. I don't know if you guys remember, if you're old enough to remember back when uh, Saturday Night Live was funny. Uh, it's been quite a few years ago, but they used to do this thing called random thoughts, and I, and I always found that pretty amusing. Um, 
One of the things that I do when I teach a 10 or 30 hour OSHA course, you know, a general industry or construction course, you know, that initial hour is always a little bit uncomfortable when you're trying to develop some rapport with the audience, you're trying to get a feel for the audience, you're trying to engage them. And so one of the things that I like to do is just discuss with them why they would take a risk. Why would someone take a risk? And, you know, we're talking about working safely. And so I think it's important to understand why people might take risks um, intentionally or otherwise. And so, you know, I kind of throw it out there. You know, I give an example of things that I do in my life that might be considered risky and then why, why I think I might do that. Um, if, If you think about it, life is just a constant series of risk assessments, right? I mean, when you get up in the morning, you get into the shower, you are making risk assessments. When you are driving to work, you are making risk assessments. It's really just a constant ongoing process of survival that gets us through the day. And so in the workplace, no different. We are making risk assessments. One of the one of the critical elements of making a successful or at least a, a reasonable risk assessment is going to be an understanding of the hazards that are involved, right? And I think I think sometimes we we get so fixated on compliance. We want to be in compliance that we lose track of the importance of hazard identification and what truly is hazardous in our work environments or our lives for that matter. And then how to conduct a risk assessment. I think we should probably spend more time on that. And so we need tools in order to be able to do that, um, right? We need an understanding of hazards in our work environment. And so, again, that's something that I usually ask at the beginning of a, of a program or a, a training session. Why would you take a risk? And I, I have a list. I put together a few ideas. It's by no means is this all inclusive. And I would love to hear from you what you think about this particular topic. But one of the, one of the more important issues, as I was just alluding to, is people are unaware of the risks, right? You're, you are not familiar with the hazards or risks in your work environment. That's particularly true for new hires, for temps, you know, people that we are just bringing into the workplace and they are unfamiliar with the processes, they are unfamiliar with the equipment. You know, you see that during the headlight look when people who have never been in an industrial or construction setting are first introduced to these work environments and you can just kind of see it's overwhelming. I remember as a new compliance person with OSHA going into a packing house or going into a foundry for the very first time and just being overwhelmed. I mean, you know, when you go into a foundry for the first time and you're in that melt shop and it's just fire and, you know, heat and bright light and radiation and noise and, you know, people in these this crazy PPE and... um Man, it, it, it can be really overwhelming, and I, and I felt the same way the first few times I went into a packing house, just these enormous facilities full of equipment and people, and just imagine being a new hire stepping into that environment for the first time. And so I think it is incredibly critical that we introduce new hires, temps uh, in particular, to the hazards of that work environment rather than just Again, focusing on compliance. You know, we need to do lockout, tagout awareness or affected training. We need to do emergency action planning. We need to do this rather than just throwing these things at them, these little segments, these little regulatory issues at them. 
you know, we need to introduce them to the work environment, introduce them to the work that they're going to be doing, and I think most critically, show them how to produce a quality product safely, right? This is kind of the mantra that we've been preaching, or provide a quality service safely. How do I do that? How do I interact with my equipment or my work environment, my coworkers? You know, I mean, what are the hazards? Um, and I think that is, we, we kind of rush through that. You know, we might bring someone in and we might sit them down for safety orientation. And then we might take them out into the plant and said, this is the equipment that you're going to be working on. You put this piece here, you press this button, this comes out, you stack it, you do it again and again. But do we spend enough time talking about the hazards of that of that piece of equipment or the hazards of the activities that are going on around you. You know, you step back and you're stepping into a forklift traffic area or, you know, there are in-running rollers or an in-running nip point or there are parts of this equipment that can really cause you harm. And I, I think we, you know, we, we uh, often don't pay enough attention to that, right? Um, it's interesting. So uh, being unaware of hazards is probably the, the primary reason why someone might take a risk. I don't understand that hazard. I don't, I cannot make an educated risk assessment if I don't understand that. You know, I've been into facilities, you know, over the time that I was a compliance officer or even as a compliance assistance person with OSHA, I would go into facilities that, you know, were just glaringly lacking in visible safety um, processes. You know, they weren't, they weren't doing safety. And yet, you know, these facilities oftentimes didn't have injuries. They didn't have accidents. They didn't have recordables. And, you know, I mean, you know, the common, you know, approach to addressing that would be, well, you've been lucky, you know, 40 years and we've been doing it this way and you've been lucky. And to some degree that may be true. I I, I don't know to what extent that is actually true, but there is another argument that you could make, you know, there is an argument that you could make that the employees in an environment like that have adapted to the hazards of that workplace. You know, they know the hazards, they understand the hazards, and they have adapted to those hazards, and they can work safely in proximity to all those hazards without incident because of that adaptation. Um I don't know, again, if that's true or not, but it's uh, an interesting concept to me. So I don't automatically, you know, dismiss that you've just been or that you've just been lucky. Maybe there is something to that. But I do think that particularly when you have seasoned employees, experienced employees, I think that they probably have the ability, if they recognize them, to uh, adapt to and interact with hazards without incident. And so I just find that interesting. Okay. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, one of the other reasons we take risks is I think a perception of low risk. You know, we have all of these, um, I'll go back to compliance issues. We have all these compliance related issues that we are expected to address. Um, and, and, Oftentimes, the OSHA regulations seem, you know, overly burdensome or overly strict. And, and again, the regulations probably exist because historically someone had an incident or had issue with one of these things. And, and, and so it becomes a regulation and then we address it. And, but many of us perceive risk differently. 
I'm sure all of us perceive risk differently to some extent. So for me, who is, you know, highly familiar with, you know, hazard recognition and risk, you know, I'm going to approach something differently than someone who doesn't. I don't, you know, I, I know people that can walk around at elevation with no fall protection, with no guardrail system, with nothing like that. And they, you know, they are perfectly comfortable with that. You know, they don't perceive that as being hazardous or that or they're being risk present. Um, you know, I've seen, you know, people working on low sloped roofs, you know, without fall protection or you name it, you pick, pick something. People, you know, using a step ladder leaned against a wall, for example, you know, they don't, they don't perceive that as a high risk issue. And, and I'm not sure that it is. It's a, it's a regulatory issue. It's a compliance issue in all likelihood, but it may not be a high risk issue. And so I think there is a challenge to, establish a perception that some of these things are in fact risky and that we probably need to do something about them. And that, that, that is incredibly challenging to employers. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that, but I, I think that is interesting. Um, you know, why did I do something risky? Because the alternative is easier, faster, or more comfortable, right? That's a common one. And I've heard that mentioned many times. You know, I could run down to my truck and get my safety glasses or I could just, you know, make a cut on that, on that, you know, on that saw or that stud or whatever. Um, I just need to chop, you know, one saw, one cut, one make one cut and then get about my business. And so, you know, it, it would be a lot easier just maybe to turn my head or something when I make that cut rather than run down to my toolbox or my truck and get my PPE, you know, it's easier. It's faster. Same thing. You know, I can run back to the tool crib and get stuff or I can just do it. I'm only going to be in the trench for a second, you know, or I'm only going to be exposed to the edge just long enough to get my tools and then come back down. I mean, um, easier and faster and it's certainly more comfortable. And for those of us that are that are required to wear personal protective equipment, we know that it is uncomfortable oftentimes. And even even if our employer has been conscientious about helping us find PPE that is more comfortable, it's still less comfortable than not using it. And so, again, we can rationalize not using it because it's easier, faster, or uncomfortable. And so um, I think, you know, again, if we want our employees to work safely, we have to find ways to counter these arguments, okay? Um, ego. I think ego is a big part of why we take risks. If you were a new employee or a younger employee, maybe you don't want to look weak to your employer or you want to look like you are a go-getter. And so we might take risks simply out of ego. And I, I'm sure that is true in both sectors, but I, I would expect that this is probably quite quite common in the construction sector. You know, the guys... Um, they're big, strong, capable guys. They don't want to look weak. They don't want to look as if they need help necessarily. Um, and so they might take risks because of that. Uh, there is a, the work needs to get done sometimes attitude, you know, like, you know, I mean, we, we are good at saying safety first. There are a lot of companies that proclaim safety is their first priority, but I think it's implied, or at least the employees feel that it's implied that the work needs to get done and, you know. There may be times where this working safely thing isn't all that big a deal. We just need to get stuff out the door. Um, Mike Rowe, I don't know if you're familiar with Mike Rowe, the Dirty Jobs guy. He, he does a really fascinating video series um, on what he refers to as safety third, okay, which 
you know, I, I think is just a, a kind of an intent, you know, he's intending to be a little bit facetious, but the reality is that I'm not sure any of us believe that safety is truly more important than any other aspect of our company. You know, we hear that and we say that it sounds nice, but I'm not sure that we necessarily believe that. And, and so when there is this mixed signal, sometimes there is the uh, implication that we just need to get the stuff out the door. Well, we do need to get the stuff out the door. There is no question that if our company is going to be successful, we need to get product out the door. And so, you know, I think, I think Mike's, well, I call him Mike, Mike Rowe, I think he lets me call him Mike, you know, at least until he finds out about it. But, you know, I think, I think he's stating that why are we professing safety first when, you know, we know these other things are just as, if not more important. You know, we have to produce product. So why can't we just simply produce a quality product safely, as safely as possible? You know, why isn't that our approach? Why isn't that the mantra? Um, there are a lot of unintended consequences, I think, that go with proclaiming safety first, but not always backing that up, okay? Um, I think one of the um, issues that, that I have particular interest in, um, I spent a number of years in graduate school studying molecular biology and genetics and things like that, okay? I don't know how I ended up in safety necessarily. It, you know, God hates me probably, but... You know, that was something that I was interested in at the time, and I studied that. And I, I do think that there is probably a genetic component to risk tolerance, you know. Um, some people are more tolerant of risk or perceive risk certainly differently because of some genetic or epigenetic um, constituent to their makeup. I have, I have two sons, for example. One of my boys um, is into you know, kind of the extreme sports. He's a climber. He's a longboarder. You know, he gets on a skateboard and races down mountains at 60 miles an hour. Um, he snowboards, you know, backcountry stuff. He loves the, you know, that excitement. And I think it's, and I think it's calculated. I don't think he is reckless. I think in his experience, all of these things are calculated, but they are higher risk activities. And so he somehow tolerates that risk without any apparently any problem uh, my other son is a gamer you know and I don't know if you know he doesn't really interact nearly as much with the outside world as as his brother and I don't know that that's a risk tolerance issue or just the way he is wired but he doesn't he certainly doesn't seek out risk like his brother does and so it's it's very interesting and so why wouldn't we believe that when we bring in a thousand employees that they all have some predisposition to risk tolerance. And so again, you know, maybe they are willing to take these risks, not because they're intending to be disrespectful or they like breaking the rules, but again, that's simply how they were wired. And so um, I, I just think that this is really interesting. And if we are going to be effective safety and health professionals, I think we need to understand probably more than we do already, why people are willing to take risks. Um, that, that will certainly play into how we approach modifying behaviors, okay? Um, the other question that that leads to, in my opinion, is why do people work safely? Why would someone consciously or perhaps unconsciously, subconsciously work safely? Why do they choose to do that? And again, I, I was just thinking about that at like four in the morning after my Ambien wore off last night and I'm laying there in bed and I, 
you know, I know I don't have a guest at the podcast, so I've got to come up with something to talk about. I think that's a fascinating subject as well. And again, I would love to hear your comments on this. So, you know, please ping me at Doug at FletcherSafety.com and, and share your thoughts. But, you know, I, I came up with a number of thoughts on this subject. Why do people work safely? Is it for the good of the company? Um, we know that injuries are costly. Uh, you know, there are direct costs and indirect costs associated with injuries, with illnesses, you know, with lost time, things like that. And so is it for the good of the company? Are people working safely because they care about the company? Uh, you know, maybe, maybe we have employees like that. It would be great if we had employees like that, I suppose. Um, I'm not sure how prevalent that is. Uh, do you work safely because the boss said so? The boss tells you that you have to work safely or he expects he or she expects you to work safely. Um, that's an interesting one. I think to some degree that is the case. You know, some of us are rule followers, okay? I, I, I include myself in that group for the most part. I'm a rule follower. You know, I try to do the right thing. I try to do what I'm told to the extent that I am able. Um, I think the, the important aspect of that is that if we are in that position, we are managers or leaders within our organization, we need to establish and communicate clear, concise, and consistent expectations of our employees' behavior, okay? Here is our policy. Here's what I expect. This is what is, you know, there are consequences to not following those rules. I think, I think one of the problems that a lot of companies have is, you know, they say, hey, work safely, but they don't they don't really uh, elaborate on what that expectation is, what that means. And so it's, it's fine to say work safely, but I'm not sure anybody really understands that for the reasons that we've already talked about, right? So if you want people to work safely, at least because you are expecting that of them or co- compelling that of them, then we need to formulate and articulate clear expectations. And then we need to be consistent. You cannot... You know, I'm in a good <clears throat> I'm in a good mood today, and so I'm going to allow people to deviate from the rules a little bit. Tomorrow I'm in a crappy mood, so now I'm going to jump your shit if you're not wearing your PPE or whatever that is. I don't I don't think that's a good approach to this. I think we need to be consistent, as I've mentioned in the past. You know, um, silence gives consent. You know, Plato told me that, and uh, not firsthand, but I mean, you know, that was something that Plato commented on that. If you ignore something, if you don't comment on a bad behavior or um, a non-compliant behavior, then basically you are you are allowing it. You are indicating that it's okay. You know, I see it. I don't do anything. Now it's okay. Now the employees perceive that as okay, and so it really requires consistency on our part to ensure that the employees understand the importance and the expectation. And so, I do think. <clears throat> excuse me, I, I do think to some extent there are employees that will work safely because we are um, expecting that of them. Uh, to some degree, I think that there are employees that probably work safely for selfish reasons. And, and that probably is the primary reason when you get right down to it. All of us are selfish to some degree and self-interested, you know, and so you know, I want to get home at the end of the day, I want to interact with my family, or I want to do, you know, my hobbies, or I would, whatever it is I do outside of the work environment. And so, you know, as long as I understand the risks and the hazards in my workplace, I will choose to work safely. You know, if I've been provided the training and the tools and those things, I'm going to work safely, because I 
you know, selfishly, I have things that I want to do outside of the workplace. And so, okay, let's capitalize on that. Again, if, you know, if those are the reasons why people choose to work safely, let's take advantage of those and, you know, provide them what they need from the standpoint of hazard recognition, risk assessment, training, tools, PPE, whatever that is, so that they will then choose to work safely. Um, Another thing that I thought of might be something like camaraderie or, you know, um, concern for your coworkers. You know, maybe I work safely because, you know, I care about some of my coworkers, probably not all of them. I've never actually been in a work environment where I cared about all of them, you know, but I care about some of them. And so maybe I'm choosing to work safely because of my coworkers. Uh, because I don't want them to be exposed to hazards. So if you're the guy that walks over, you know, the board with the nails sticking out of it, and I'm fine, you walk right past that, but now one of your coworkers could come by and, and have incident with something like that. If you're that person, you know, maybe it's more selfishly motivated, but if you are a person who has concern for coworkers, uh, then that may be why you choose to to work safely. So... Again, I, I don't know the answers to any of these things, there, and there are probably a number more reasons why people choose to work safely. Look, I'll be honest with you. I took one psychology class in college. It was an elective. It sucked, okay? Uh, I, I wish now that I had paid more attention, frankly, because it's so, you know, so much of what we do is behavioral psychology, you know, industrial psychology, these things, knowing how and why we can, we can um, change behaviors, perhaps, and so... Um, you know, I, I, I wish that I knew more about it truthfully, but, uh, so there are lots of reasons why people take risks and there are likewise probably a number of reasons why people choose to work safely. Um, it's interesting to me and, and it's such an important part of what we do. You know, when we talk about unsafe conditions and unsafe behaviors, uh, we've, we, we've seen the breakout of those things. We've talked about that ad nauseum. You know, that's something that we commonly discuss. I, I, you know, the unsafe conditions are pretty straightforward. We can find them typically. We can address them. And the unsafe behavior has become a significant, significantly greater challenge for us. And so um, just food for thought, you know, random thoughts, I guess. And so, you know, this is what I do at 5 in the morning when I can't get back to sleep, unfortunately. I, you hate to st- take a second Ambien halfway through, you know. I mean, I'd probably wake up at noon or two in the afternoon or something. So I, I don't, you know, I don't encourage that necessarily. Um, man, I don't have time. I don't know if I have time for, I'll, I'll throw these other things out and then maybe we'll talk about them again because I'm running up on my time here. Um, you know, I have a good buddy, Aaron Cerrone. Um, you've heard him. If you listen to some of our leadership podcasts, you've heard Aaron, really a bright guy, interesting guy. But he is, he's, he's an athlete. You know, he's a martial artist. He has a gym. He's a very big, strong guy. Uh, and, uh, you know, many, many, many years ago, I was a big, strong guy. And we talk about those things, training, exercise, those types of things, nutrition. Those are, those are things that we have in common. And as friends, we discuss those things. One of the things that comes up regularly is training versus exercise. For, you know, when you're talking about fitness, that world, you know, we're not talking about workplace safety necessarily, but we're talking about wellness. And training is different than exercise, right? I think we all understand that. Training, uh, and again, just in a nutshell, we are intending to progress, okay? It is typically progressive. Uh, if our objective is to run faster, we are, we are trying to 
train ourselves into being able to run faster or jump higher or lift more weights. And so that usually requires some type of a progression. In the weightlifting world, you know, we would, you know, maybe over a 12-week cycle, we would progressively increase resistance in hopes that at the end of the 12 weeks, maybe you're going into a meet or a contest of some sort, you can perform at a higher level than you did 12 weeks prior. Exercise, again, in my opinion, just tends to be more movement. I'm burning calories. I go to the gym and I get on the treadmill for 20 minutes and I do the same thing I did last week or, you know, less or more, whatever. There's no, there's no methodology to it. So training versus exercise, both good. I'm not making a judgment here, both good. But I do think when we talk about training at work, when we talk about doing workplace safety and health training, I think we need to incorporate that concept, okay? I don't think we want to do workplace safety and health exercising necessarily, at least, you know, from the, uh, from the uh, intellectual standpoint. You don't want to go over there and just, you know, watch the same video over and over year after year. That's something that I've heard, you know, throughout my career that, you know, it's just so boring. I got to watch that same crap over and over you're not progressing. I think training should be progressive. There should be a goal associated with training. And so if we are going to do safety and health training, I think there needs to be a goal toward progression. So I'm, you know, I'm at this level today. We redo the training a year later and I, I, I make progress. I am improving. I am either becoming more knowledgeable or I am adding to my skill set, whatever that is. But I do think that we need to consider when we do workplace training that we are all, we are all still um, setting goals and objectives and making progress, okay? And I, I don't know why I thought of that. You know, Aaron and I were just talking about working out the other day, and we were talking about training versus exercise. And I always try to take those lessons that he is giving me and apply those to the workplace safety and health setting, you know, that world. And so I I think I'm going to make an effort to do that in my training. When I'm out working with my companies and clients, I'm going to work on progression, set goals for improvement, not just repeating the same, not just exercising, not just, you know, what am I trying to say here? You know, I mean, that becomes a little complacent. It just seems like we're going through the motions. And that's kind of what I equate to exercise. Let's make an effort to progress, all right? So um, I've got a number more notes and thoughts jotted down here. We'll get to these another time. Next time I fail to get a guest lined up, I guess we'll, we'll just revisit some of these. I, I, you know, I have to let you know that I, I have to make a living. So Sunday through Thursday, I work on making a living. You know, my wife insists. You know, my boys want to live indoors, selfish little bastards. You know, they want to eat three times a day, all those kind of things. And so Sunday through Thursday, I work on making a living. Fridays are the days that I have devoted to giving something back, you know, doing the podcast, um, doing some pro bono work for some, you know, clients, giving some information back, you know, trying to um, organize some of these uh, networking groups that, that I belong to, things like that. And Saturday, of course, is just I lay there and vegetate. But, you know, so I, I just got busy this week. I had a few guests um, in mind, and I and I guess I was a little bit late getting to the table and trying to get them secured. So that's usually what happens. Is if if you're if I'm by myself, it's because I screwed up and didn't get somebody, you know, committed. But um, I've got we have some really 
interesting guests in March. I, I, I did. I have scheduled some really fascinating episodes for March. I think you're going to really enjoy them and benefit from them. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, Aaron and I will probably get together next week and do a little bit more on leadership. There's always more to talk about with regard to leadership and probably a little bit of this training and exercise stuff as well. So uh, with that, I'm rolling up on the hour. Thanks again for listening, everybody. I would love your feedback. Okay, I would love your comments. So if you if you have something to contribute to that, you know, that rant, I'm not sure that was even a discussion necessarily. It's just kind of this weird stream of consciousness stuff that's happening. Um, I would love to hear your feedback. So hit me at Doug at FletcherSafety.com. Otherwise, let me once again thank my sponsors, Cheyenne, Jim. You know, I love you guys. I appreciate your help. Other than that, stay warm, everybody. Um, We're thinking about you where you were really suffering, man. You know, hang in there. Things are going to improve. Um, And I'll talk to you next week. Later. A Huda Media Production.